Lord, we want to respond to you this morning, Father. As you call us, as you speak to us, we want to respond to you, Father. Not just walk back to you, but run back to you, Lord. Thank you, Father. And Lord, this morning I want to pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who are thinking about loved ones. Loved ones whom they have not met for a long time, Lord, for one, two years, Lord, and and they just miss them. Father, this morning I want to pray for them, Lord, whether it be mothers or fathers or brothers or sisters or children. Father, I just ask for grandchildren. Father, I ask, Lord, that you will just comfort their hearts. Comfort their hearts, Lord, and, and open a way, Father. Open a way for them that they can be reunited with their family and their loved ones soon, Lord. So, Father, I just commit them to your hands this morning, God. And, Lord, as we look into your word, Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will lead us into all truth. We ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen, amen, amen. The Lord bless you. We're going to look at John 17. And you know, John 17 is an incredible uh, portion of Scripture. You know, in Bible, there are, there are great prayers that have been recorded. Whether we are looking at Genesis 18, when Abraham prayed and interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, if, if there were just a few, Lord, will you save them? What a great prayer of intercession. Or we're thinking about Moses in Exodus 32, when he interceded. You know, while he was up in Mount Sinai and the people were building the golden calf and, and dancing and singing and running around worshipping that golden calf while not waiting for Jehovah. And, and God was going to destroy them and, and Moses stood and prayed that great prayer. Lord, what will happen to your name if you destroy them, Lord? Lord, the Egyptians will, will laugh at us. Lord, so for your name, Lord, Forgive them. What an amazing prayer. Also, you know, the book of First Kings 8, when Solomon, during the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem and the altar of incense, was brought into the Holy of Holies. And the temple was restored, and, and he prayed his great prayer. You know, and that one of the significance of that great prayer is that God hear our prayers. And not just us, Lord. Even when the nations come and stand before you in this place and make their supplications, needs known to you, answer them, Lord. It's an amazing prayer, and that nations is reflected in us. That prayer of Solomon was answered in us. The church, who's not Israel, became the ones who could stand in that place, enter into the Holy of Holies, make our needs known to God, and God hears our prayer. So there are amazing prayers recorded in the Bible. But John 17 is an entirely different one. Because here we, we hear the heart of the Father reflected through the words of the Son, inspired through the Holy Spirit as John wrote it all down. It's just an amazing prayer. It's not just a prayer that was personal. Jesus was personal as he was talking. It was also purposeful. He knew exactly what was coming. This was, this was just before Passover. This was just before the time. This was just hours away. 
from him being dragged and, and humiliated and beaten and crucified and put to death. And yet you see the purposefulness of his prayer, his words at this point of time. And his words were very precise. He was asking God for very precise things. He was reflecting on very precise aspects of his journey, his life, what was to come and what was being accomplished. So John 17 is just an amazing, amazing thing. And we're going to go through that very quickly this morning. Now, the overview of John 17, if we look through it quickly, you know, uh, not the first part, Jesus prays concerning himself. I think probably the word I should have used is concerning himself more than praise for himself. He's praying concerning himself. And then from verse 6 to 19, he prays for the disciples. And then weeks to come, you'll probably cover the third part where he prays for all believers. So let's look, John 17, 1 to 19. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to the heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. It's just amazing that at this point of time, looking at the cross that lies ahead, he drew, saw his relationship to God in terms of his sonship. May we as believers, when we are standing Moments in our life where we are facing challenges and, and pain and trials and testings. May we draw on our sonship with God the Father and cry out, Father, glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. Now we can read that and think that it's a selfish prayer. How could Jesus be praying that, that he be glorified? It's not, not very humble of the, of the son, you know, praying to the father and asking that he be glorified. You know, but you have to understand that the glory of the son is intricately joined to the glory of the father. Because if the son is not glorified, the cross is not acceptable, Everything that Jesus served is no longer valid. There's no glory to the Father. So his entire life was about glorifying the Father. So what he was praying here was not a selfish glorify me. Unlike us sometimes, you know, we may not admit it, but a lot of our prayers are pretty self-centered. A lot of our prayers are about ourselves. Of course, we throw in God in there somewhere. God, give me an increment. Lord, I need a bigger house, bigger car, Lord, a new car. Look at my car, Lord, it's three and a half years. Lord, give me something, Lord. After all, Lord, you be glorified. Okay. Okay. No, here he was just focused on the glory of the Father. So again, think about this, this context, yeah? This is hours away from him being dragged and being led to the cross. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus here claimed authority to determine the ultimate destiny of men. Not something that he has not done before, but again, it was a consistent message of the book of John. All right? That through the Son comes eternal life. All right, and here, the prayer to the Father, again, he's just saying, Lord, you are the one 
who's given me the authority. And all this is very important because of the flow of the prayer, right? He's praying concerning himself, and then he's going to pray for the disciples, and then he's going to pray for the world. So everything builds so that it goes to the next one, right? Christians often think of, uh, we, th- we, we think of ourselves, uh, you know, and, and, and think that Jesus is, is God's gift to us, right? That's something else that we see here. He should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So Jesus is saying, Lord, I can give eternal life to as many as you've gifted to me. We think about Jesus being gift to us. And here Jesus is saying, you and I, we are the Father's gift to Jesus. Think about that. Wow. That itself should make us run to God. (laughs) That itself should just melt our heart and make us run to God. That hours before crucifixion, he looks at us, not just the disciples, but all of us, and says, they are God the Father's gift to me. What an amazing thing. Verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. The word know, gnosko, is not know as in uh, attending a seminar and then becoming an expert in a subject. Or reading a book and then knowing about it. Or knowing because someone else told us. Or knowing through Google search. This know is a relational, living, experiential, growing no. It's a, it's, it's a lively, a live no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's the wealth of the Greek language which we can't find in English, okay? English, no. You know or not? I don't know. No, no. Everything is no. <laughs> right? But in Greek, gnosko really is a different meaning. <laughs> it's a live knowing. Right? Relationship, experiential knowing. Right? That they may know you. Wow. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. You know, throughout the life of Jesus, he lived for the glory of the Father. Right? And uh, some of you who remember one of the things I first thought when I came to the church. And by the way, this is like a home church to me, okay? And one of the first things I thought when I came to the church was Pastor Agus's favorite subject. He still tells me, cat and dog. <laughs> I talked about cat and dog, you know. So now the whole, whole thing was about who do we live for? Do we live for ourselves or do we live for the glory of God? And the entire life of Jesus was lived for the glory of God. I'll just very quickly look at John 1.14. The life of Jesus was a manifestation of God's glory. And the disciples beheld that. John 2, 11, the miracles of Jesus manifested his glory. John 7, 18, 8, 50, Jesus only ever sought the glory of his Father. John eleven forty, the revelation of glory is the reward of faith. John 7, 39, 12, 16, 12, 23, 13, 31, many times Jesus spoke of his coming crucifixion as his coming glory. John 12, 28, God the Son seeks to glorify God the Father. 
John 13, 31, 32, God the Father glorifies God the Son. So this, this glorifying God is a very common theme throughout the book of John. All right, so when, when Jesus is praying here, you know, that, that I have glorified you on earth, it's not a single event, but it was the way he lived his life. Consider that, church. Right. And then he says this, which is a bit strange. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. But he hasn't gone to the cross yet. <laughs> I have finished the work which you have given me to do. But he's just hours away from the cross. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. How can he say I have finished the work you've called me to do? Because he's finishing and fulfilling the purpose of God in his life was not hinged on a single thing, but his entire life. Right? Because a lot of time, like the book of Ecclesiastes says, you know, he that considers the wind never sows, he that considers the rain never reaps. A lot of times in Christian life, we are waiting for that perfect time, that perfect day, that we will do that perfect thing for God. <laughs> Everything else is mundane and ordinary. And then that one time, we will do something incredible. And then somebody will write a book about us. <laughs> no. Jesus lived every day of his life for the glory of the Father. Which is why at any point, he could say, I have finished. I have glorified you. Amen? What a powerful thing. Right. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world. Now, Jesus begins to pray concerning his disciples. Now, again, remember, this is just before the crucifixion. Having thought and encouraged disciples as much as he could, on the eve of his despair, Jesus now did this one great thing. He committed them to the Father. Just as he found his strength in the Father daily, he now commits the disciples to the Father. And one of the most important things that, that the Lord spoke to me as I was preparing this was just, you know, the more we pray, the less the world touches us. The less we pray, the more the world overcomes us. Somehow, prayer has become something that's been relegated to a select few. It's been put aside for someone who does it for a special occasion. But as a church, I speak to myself, we've lost the kind of prayer where before the sun rose, Jesus would go out by himself and spend time with the Father. Or after an entire day of working and, 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 and healing the sick and teaching, he did not retire to take a nap. He would draw aside and commune with the Father. Somehow, that aspect of prayer, I feel like we're losing it. We need to get that back. Because the more prayer we have, the more Christ we have. Less prayer, 
the more world comes into our life. Right. So consider that. I hope tomorrow when you have your prayer that you know you would, you would come and, and, and begin to rekindle that prayer life of the church again. Right. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. You know, Jesus thought for about three years. You know, and uh, he's teaching, he chose his, his, uh, every one of his disciples. And everything, you know, he did, he, he taught them about the name of God. And he didn't just teach them, but he displayed it. That's the word manifest. Right? It's one thing to teach about something. It's another thing to manifest it. Everyone can teach a parenting seminar not everyone can manifest parenthood <laughs> right to manifest is to to live and to display and to demonstrate and to show it and jesus said i have manifested what a powerful word i have manifested your name one of the first topical study I ever did as a believer was on the name of God. You know, and uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, wow. You begin to understand why even the scribes, every time they copied their, their, the scriptures, when they come to the name of God, they put their pen down, they'll go and shower, wash their hands, and then come back and then write, Yahweh. Because the name of God was such a powerful thing. There was so much authority in the name of God. But most importantly, what I found through studying the name of God is that the name of God actually represents the entire person and character of God. Not a rubber stamp. <laughs> no. It actually invokes the very person and authority and character of God. I have manifested your name, wow, to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Just there, for me, you know, uh, has the, one of the most profound definition and explanation that will help us understand this concept called predestination. You know, a lot of us don't understand what's predestination. If only, if we are already called to be saved, that means those not called cannot be saved. Huh? Okay. If we are already called to be saved, that means we cannot be unsaved. Huh? So I can do what I want. You know, so this concept of, of you know, of predestination right there. We understand that. Because he said, they were yours. You gave them to me. <laughs> the Father's gift to God is us. And they have kept your word. So the, you gave them to me. They are saved. And they kept your word. Both things need to happen. <laughs> All right? The giving, the predestination took place. But then keeping the word was part of that. It doesn't happen aside. All right? So right there in the prayer of Jesus, he tells us what it is. <laughs> we are God's gift to the Son. And 
we have kept the Father's word. Verse 7, Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And I have known surely that I come forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Believers today have this similar duty. You know what we read in the book of 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 2, 3. Just as Jesus said, Father, I have, I have become living epistles from you to them. We too, as the church, Paul said, are living epistles. Written by the ink of the Holy Spirit, but read and known by all around us. So we are the only Jesus that some will ever see. Just as Jesus was the only Jesus that the disciples saw. So when Jesus prayed and said, Father, I've manifested myself to them, may we understand that now as he gave that authority to them, that we now become the one who will manifest the name of the Father to those around us. What an amazing thing. They were yours, and you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. All right. Jesus directs his prayer. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. Now, again, the, the, the emphatic here is not, I pray for them, Lord. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom... No, no, no. The emphasis here is, I pray for them. The Son of God, who's manifested the Father, who's lived his life, who's completed everything, who's standing here at the threshold of the final suffering that will ultimately redeem mankind. I am praying for them. I do not pray for the world. Doesn't mean the Lord doesn't care about the world, all right? We know He cares about the world, all right? The entire Scriptures talks about everything that Jesus cared about, all right? But at this point of time, at this point of time, the disciples were the ones who are going to be through whom the world was going to hear. That's why at this point of time he's saying, I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for them whom you have given me. I'm praying for these ones. All right? Because at that point of time, the entire witness to the world depended on the leaven that Jesus was praying for. Right? Judas has already left that leaven that were there in that room. And that's why he was praying for the eleven them. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. I just, I read this first, I kind of chuckled a bit, because all of us can say, Lord, everything I have belongs to you, Lord. But only Jesus can say, and Father, everything that you have belongs to me too. (laughs) We can't say that, Yeah. (laughs) But Jesus could say that. What an amazing unity of the Godhead. Just amazing. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. This concept of being kept is a very important 
biblical principle. Because it is not just about us in our human endeavor trying to keep our faith. Jesus also knew it is how the Father is able to keep us from falling and to present us blameless unto himself. Right? So this concept of being kept that Jesus prayed for, you see that throughout the Pauline letters because Paul understood that as well. Right? So it's a very important thing that we are kept, right? keeping through his name. Spurgeon says this, you have been redeemed, but you must still be kept. You have been regenerated, but you must be kept. You are pure in heart and hands, but you must be kept. Charles Spurgeon says that they may be one just as we are. All right, the unity. You know, I shared you know, this morning about how, you know, in, in Malaysia there is a town, there is a, there's, there's a beef noodle that's very popular. You know, so, but there are three beef noodle shops in that town. So everyone insists their one is the best one. And the fans of that one also insist that that one is the best one. So I had a guy come up to me and he just asked me, you know, why, you know, in this small town, you've got 18 churches. Why so many churches? It's such a small town. We don't need. You know? Why can't you all Christians be more united? So I kind of, you know, I was already thinking about beef noodles, so it wasn't very difficult. I said, you know, which beef noodle shop do you go to? I said, oh, I go to the one in the market. I said, oh, I go to the one here. Because this one is spicier than that one. I said, is yours beef noodle? I said, yeah. Is mine beef noodle? I said, yeah. Go where you want. <laughs> All right. The beef noodle shops are not fighting with each other. The beef is not fighting with each other. <laughs> Go where you want. All right. So we are already one. All right. The unity of the believers. And here the Lord was playing, Father, make them one, Lord, just as we are one. And one of the another important scripture principle is that we don't need to have to strive for unity of the body of Christ. Because the Bible says we are already one. <laughs> we just got to be careful that through pride and jealousy and envy, we don't bring division to that unity. Right? I love seeing some of the posts from Pastor Argus. He only posts three things. One is about his beloved wife. Another one is he adores his grandchildren. If he could, he will put half an hour narration every day of his grandchildren. And then the third thing is when he goes for lunch with other Indonesian pastors. You know, and I'm still waiting for one of those lunches, but you know, I'm not, I'm not Indonesian enough, so I never get invited, you know, so, you know. But, you know, I just love to see those pictures of him having meals with the other pastors because it speaks that we are already one. Being one doesn't mean being uniform and sing the same song, stand the same way, wear the same shirt. All right? We are united in our purpose. We are united in our central being and core of who we are. Our DNA is Jesus. We are already united through our faith. Amen? All right. Verse 12. 
while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Again, yeah, this kept concept. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. You know, the scripture being fulfilled, you find in the book of Psalm 41, 9, Psalm 109, 8, Jesus did not lose Judas. Okay? Judas lost himself. The Father, through the Son, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is able to keep every one of us. But we can choose to lose ourselves. Okay. Verse 13. But now I come to you that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You know, sometimes we think about the three years of the life of Jesus, and, and we picture Jesus as this gloomy, downcast, sad man of sorrows. And, and you know, and, and we picture Jesus that way. That's just intense, serious. But actually, there was a sense of deep joy in how Jesus lived his life. And his joy was rooted in his unbroken fellowship with God the Father. His joy was the fruit of true faith and confidence in his Father. His joy came from seeing the great things that the Father was doing. His joy was never diminished by sin that he saw around him, whether it was the prostitute or the priest. It never diminished his joy. His joy was never diminished by deception that he saw around him. His joy was never diminished by allowing even the smallest foothold to the devil to get into his life, his call. So there was a joy that was in work in, in, work in his life. Not, not joy that we think, you know, laughing and joking. That, that's, that's good. That's great, all right? But the joy that the Lord was speaking about was something much deeper. It was the joy of the Father, of the Lord, that gave strength for Jesus to fulfill and walk that he could say, what you have led me to do, Father, I have done it. I finished it. That's why he could pray here. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. And I, I constantly baffled at myself sometimes, but also at, every, at others, you know. That when something happens, you know, and then someone sends a WhatsApp message, oh, how can they do this, you know? I think, you know, it's going to be very hard for us Christians. It's going to be persecution. It's going to be hard. And I always, you know, again, I'm guilty of that as well, yeah? And then I keep looking at it and I said, but you know what? <laughs> Even from the prayer of Jesus right up to the Pauline writing and right throughout Scripture, right up to the... John, Revelation, he's already saying, the world is going to hate you. Why do we keep getting a shock by that? <laughs> right? The world is going to hate you. Get that poster in your toilet. 
put it up there so that you memorize the world is going to hate you the world is because the world is going to hate you right it's going to happen right like the book of james 4 4 says friendship with this world is enmity with god we have to be more afraid if the world does not hate us <laughs> If it embraces us and say, whoa, wonderful, you know, this, this is the perfect church that we can all live with and all the others, you know. If you are one of that, you probably got to be asking some serious questions. <laughs> right? And Paul wrote in Timothy, he said, everyone who chooses a life of godliness will be persecuted. We'll face that hardship and oppression and opposition and persecution. We will. So, right, so Jesus is saying, you know, just as they've hated me, they also will hate them. All right? Because just as I'm not of the world, they are not of this world either. Right? Now, that's a very interesting thing because, you know, uh, it's great when, when, when we are in the world, but it's not so great when the world is in us. It's great that we walk and, and talk and live and journey with sinners, but it's not great if sin takes a foothold in our life. It's great when the ship navigates deep waters and storms and sails in the ocean, but it's not great if the ocean is in that ship. So we are in the world, but we're not of the world. That's why, as Jesus said, just as they have hated me, they're going to hate them. They're going to hate us. Right? I do not pray yet, Lord, yet, Father. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. That would be the easiest thing for Jesus to do. Father, cross is coming. Let's bring them all home. <laughs> they don't have to go through... Uh, persecution, they don't have to go through martyrdom, they don't have to go through being hated. I can bring them all together with me, Father. <laughs> Think about that. Father, I'm coming back to you. Please bring them with me. <laughs> no. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Uh, in fact, the word evil one there probably can also be said keep them not from evil one because when you say evil one then you're keeping them from the acts of the evil one being testings and trials and tribulation but actually the word is more keep them from evil Let's keep them from evil of the world that will penetrate and rob them and take them away keep them from evil they are not of the world just as i'm not of the world sanctify them by your truth your word if is truth we need to be kept in this world. reason Jesus didn't take the disciples with him is so that if we were taken from the world, the world will be in utter darkness and would perish. If we were taken from the world, the world will not have us as a witness to be a means of salvation unto them. If we were taken from the world, we would be denied the opportunity to serve God in the very place where we sinned against God. If we were taken from the world, we would not see that there are aspects of God's wisdom and truth and power and grace that are better appreciated 
on earth before we go to heaven. If we were not taken from the world, if we were taken from the world, we could not show the power of God's grace to preserve us in the midst of a broken world. Right? All right. Sanctify them by your truth. The word sanctify is the word hagios, which means consecrate or hallow or holy or put them aside, set them apart. Sanctification only comes from divine revelation. Sanctify them by your truth. Setting apart never happens through teaching. It doesn't happen by reading a book. It doesn't happen by even coming to the altar call. It doesn't happen by someone counseling us. Sanctification only happens when we are confronted by a revelation of God. And that revelation only happens in the times that we are in the closet with him. That's why I said, you know, the, the, one of the things that the devil has managed to make us do is has got us so busy and focused on so many things so that we will miss that one thing that he knows and he is most afraid of that is a believer in the closet. Okay. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them, and I ask for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may be sanctified by truth. He prays this with this amazing utterance, that this Jesus, who's now standing the precipice, the moment before he's going to face hardship, he's saying, I, I, Jesus, is in Jesus is not just the great high priest who's praying this prayer, but he is also the altar of sacrifice through whom the believers can come, and he is also the perfect sacrifice on the altar by the priest <laughs> through whom the world is going to come to know him, which is the next part of John 17. What an incredible prayer. <laughs> what an incredible prayer. All right, that's what I said. You know, there all the prayers in the scriptures are amazing, but this one is just amazing. But more than anything else, I just want to close and hope you would consider these words for me. You know, whether you're here or listening at home, you know, just consider this. The more prayer takes hold of us, the less the world can keep a grip us the less prayer we have the more the world will have a grip on our lives Father we commit ourselves to you Lord thank you Jesus the same Jesus who prayed that prayer right now is actually continuing to make intercession for us what an incredible thought. What an incredible thought. What an incredible thought, Father, that 
that not just is Jesus your gift to us, but we are your gift to the Son. Help us, Lord, to be faithful that we too, Lord, can say the work that you have given to me, I have done them, Lord. We commit ourselves to you, Father, in Jesus' name.